0: You're listening to the Inspire Excellence Podcast, recorded at the BVA headquarters with your hosts, Kevin Miller and Tommy Alquist. Each episode is focused on shedding new light on different perspectives to create dialogue that inspires excellence.
1: Welcome again to another episode of Inspire Excellence. Tommy Alquist, Kevin Miller here. And Tommy, I think we're going to learn something today. Of course, we learn something every day, but we're gonna be hip. We're gonna be happening. Hey, we're we're. I am I am
2: more hip every time I'm with this good friend of mine that's here with us today. I'm super excited to have Eric Finman join us today. Uh, many of you know Eric as the uh, Bitcoin millionaire kid. Uh, he's been on every news station nationally. Uh, many people know him, but don't know he's from Idaho. Uh, Eric became a dear friend a few years ago to me and certainly one of the most inspirational stories you'll hear of him. And then his mother is in the education industry and is probably the most innovative educator in America. And she's from North Idaho too, which is a different story. But Eric, thanks for being here today with us. Thanks for coming on. And, uh, can you start by just giving us a little brief introduction into who you are a little bit about your story. And then Kevin, Kevin and I'll ask you a few questions. Sounds good. Yeah. It's my pleasure too, Tommy.
0: Um, so yeah, my, my story, I guess, uh, it, it does start in Idaho. I grew up in Idaho on a llama farm of all places and, uh, and the llama farm, although I was very interested in technology, and it was a little bit more than a llama farm. I, my, my, uh, my family was all very into technology and all that, but yeah, I got really passionate about it, really into it. And, Kind of my first project out of the gate was actually in the education space. I had gone to like, you know, six, eight different schools, however many charter schools, private schools, public schools, high schools, you know, all all this stuff, you know, from A to B. And I really hated it. I actually had one teacher, he he told me to drop out and work at McDonald's because that's all ever amount to in life. I had another teacher roast me for the entire like hour of class. Like instead of teaching, it was just like making fun of me and like people would stand up. But like wasn't in good fun, and and then yeah, so I decided actually to drop out of high school. So I did take my original teacher's advice, but kind of skipped the McDonald's part, and then uh, ended up starting my own kind of education company. Eventually, sold that. um, You know, along the way, you know, got into super into Bitcoin.
2: So so I'm gonna gonna slow you down a little bit because for the for our listeners out there, how old were you when you started that first company?
0: Oh, yeah. I was 15 when I started that company. And I got into Bitcoin when I was 12.
2: Yeah. So you got into Bitcoin when you're 12. You start your company when you're 15. And I think one of the most amazing parts of the story, when you sell your company, you told them, this is a teenager now selling a company, you wanted them to buy, buy your company in Bitcoin, right? Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I wanted them to, to buy my money, buy my company in uh, Bitcoin. Um, so that was a very cool thing to do. Um, it was selling it to another kind of Bitcoin type person off the grid person and, uh, uh, but a very established person. And then, yeah, so it was very interesting. I thought that was just like the coolest thing. I mean, you know, back then Bitcoin was very low. So people would have, you know, thought, Oh, take it in cash, take it in cash. But I, I said, take it in Bitcoin and ended up, you know, making 10, a hundred times back, you know, even I sold my company for a lot of money and then I ended up making a lot more money on top of that.
2: Hey, yeah, so so you sell you sell you sell your company. You made a lot of money, Eric. You're very humble. You made a lot of money. So <laughs> huge, huge, huge amount. <laughs> so, so a huge, <laughs> more money than most of us ever will dream of in a long time. And, and at this point, you're 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 16, right? If, yeah, yeah, sixteen, 16, years 16 old, Seventeen. Um, yeah. seventeen years old. So tell us a little bit about the last couple of years because you're 20 now, right, Eric?
0: I know I'm an old man. I'm an old man. Um, so it's uh, <laughs> out of the teenagers. Yeah. I just like turned 20 like a month and a half ago. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's, yeah. So I've been doing a lot of cool stuff. I mean, along the way, we, we uh, recently just a few months ago or somewhere around there, you know, we built this robotic exoskeleton um, for this kit and it was cool. It was, it was a dream to have this uh, real life Dr. Octopus, you know, from Spider-Man 2. And then we made that for him and that was really beautiful and really good. And he's an incredibly, you know, super strong now, which is amazing. And, um, so that was cool. We, um, you know, me and, uh, me and actually my mother, because my mother is a excellent, excellent person in space. Um, and with some other teenagers as well, we ended up uh, launching a satellite and that was just a few days ago. Um, and then we got a uh, part of that was a time capsule. So that was, uh, uh, really cool. So we got, it was kind of like a 21st century golden record. If you don't know what the golden record was, it was like Carl Sagan's, um, you know, a little time capsule on the Voyager mission, you know, had like the classic photo of like the golden, like naked man on it, you know, just in case aliens found it, um, to show what human humans look like. And then, uh, and then, yeah, we want to do a 21st century that. So we got, um, videos from every race, every gender, every cult, you know, every culture, as many countries as we could get, you know, to kind of truly represent the world. And we put it like these small little videos from each of these groups, um, onto this time capsule. And then we got, you know, people that are kind of, um, kind of huge kind of parts of the culture. We got politicians, we got, um, uh, Taylor Swift. Uh, she sent us her favorite music. Um, we got all these famous kind of people to represent the youth. We got all these famous YouTubers, um, you know, which was very cool. It was like Logan Paul, which is just so random and and that type of thing. He contributed to it. And it was crazy, you know, so we got celebrities, politicians, you know, and just normal people, average people to, to really represent the world. And so that was really cool. And that was just a few days ago. So yeah. a lot of stuff. <laughs> I, I saw, I saw
2: you post the launch. That, that was incredible. So, so just a really quick summary from, from llama farm, to company to bitcoin to robotics to rocket launches and you just turned 20 just so our listeners huh. get who we have on the show today sure i feel I like get yeah kevin just said uh, there's 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 times you feel like
1: an underachiever and then there's this you know when we talk to you <laughs> no. eric you know eric if we could we, we you know you were talking about your mom and the value of education and back to your experience with formal education how did you develop the skills at such a young age to come up with the idea of a, a company and unlike most of us to implement it, to make it profitable and to sell it? I mean, right now, most people are, you know, out of high school for a couple of years at your age or their second or third year of college and you're already launching satellites.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's really cool. So, I mean, Wait, could you repeat the question again? I, totally I don't know if I can that.
1: remember the question, but <laughs> uh, at the age of 15, you start your own business. And I believe you left high school and you have this educational background from your mom, who's an innovator in education. How did you know what you wanted to do at 15 as opposed to the rest of us that are still trying to figure it out, sir? Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, when I was when I was about um about three years old when I had my very first memory, you know, when I, you know, when you just like start recording, if you will, you know, it's like, it's like you start recording, you start remember. like I don't remember when I was like one or whatever. So when I was three, I remember I asked my, my mother, cause I was like, I felt like an alien coming onto earth that had my mind wiped. Um, and that's kind of how I felt is I remember observing my surroundings and being very aware that I was recording for the first time or or starting to remember or realize things would be conscious for the first time. And I remember asking my mom, I said, why do I look out of my eyes and not yours or anyone else's? And then she didn't really have like an answer for that. But I think (laughs) that was, you know, there was this kind of internalized thing, this internalized mindset that came, that came out of that was, I was like, well, if I'm looking out of my eyes, I'm looking out of my eyes for a reason. And I was very aware I was a child. I was very aware that I was three or five or eight or 10 or 12, whatever, 15. And I desperately kind of, I felt like an adult in a um, three-year-old's body. You know, I still felt three. I did all that. Um, but, uh, you know, played lots of fun games, built Legos, had a happy childhood, but I was very aware that I was, you know, in my own, in, in, a, in a small body where no one would take me seriously. So I think as soon as I was old enough, um, and I think 15 is like probably the bare minimum to at least probably work in the adult world, um, you know, it at least somewhat seriously. I think then I, I kind of, you know, I moved to Silicon Valley when I was 15 after I dropped out of school all by myself and all that and then yeah you know my my family my mother my father my brothers you know i joke that we're like the elon musk version of the kardashians um <laughs> you know my brothers are very smart um you know my middle brother he just sold his company to the pokemon go guys for a disgusting amount of money a little bit disgusting um and then uh, and then you know my Parents, both PhDs from Stanford. Um, my oldest brother, also, you know, traveling around the world, working on his laptop on the beach. So, you know, the mindset I think was there, um, especially from my mother. I'm very close to my mother. I like to involve her in anything that I do, just because, you know, I love my mom. I love my mama.
2: <laughs> so, so, Eric, I, I wasn't sure where this would go today, but it's going somewhere I think pretty cool. I've been around you a lot and I've been around your mom a lot. And I, and I'd have to say of people I know in my life, I'm 50, uh, that I, I leave every time inspired that I'm even in her presence. Your mother is incredible. She, she is one of the most amazing minds I've ever been around. She is a, you know, Stanford PhD inventor, innovator, educator, educator. But then I've never met anyone that has such a passion to give back and translate all of that to to other people. That's just who she is. I want to ask you, what's it like, because I know you're close to her and and Paul, your dad, kind of the same thing in a different way. What was it like growing up in the Finman household with those two accomplished people, but also people that care about others? It's, it's It's a unique family. What was that like?
0: Yeah. I mean, it was very, it was very interesting. I mean, yeah, my mother is caring. Not many people know about this, because she'll never tell anyone. Um, you know, it was when kind of the beginning of, of the war in Iraq um, and all that, my my mom, you know, kind of got all the community together and then, you know, like sent all you know, gave a huge, like kind of huge yellow ribbon goodbye to all the troops going out there, going to the airport and all that, going to war, all those young boys going to war. And that was really beautiful. She did this for two years in a row, you know, right after they kind of went off and if they came back, um, she put on this, she worked with the National Guard to put this whole kind of event together with fireworks, with, you know, kind of clowns, happy things for the families of these soldiers. Um, You know, and their wives, you know, we got with monster trucks, fireworks, barbecue, food, clowns, candy, you know, going through the tanks, you know, doing all this stuff, these incredible events, these incredible things um, that she did. And then that was just, she got everyone together, really put it up. She got, she convinced everyone to donate those fireworks, those food, the the monster trucks completely for free. She did this a couple years in a row. And then eventually she, you know, she has her own business with my father, their co-founders. Um, of uh, of you know building these um, uh, these devices which block people from remotely blowing up mines under Humvees. It's actually in the, the president's limousine. Um, and actually, President Bush sent a personal letter to my parents and their company, um, and including you know obviously including my mom. Of you know it was a funny story. The IRS was or the Idaho IRS or some tax agency was auditing my my parents during the height of this, you know, my like we were, my parents' company was the only one that could make this, you know, only the only one that could save these people's lives, really, in the entire country in, in Idaho, of all places. And then she uh Bush wrote a personal letter to the to the tax agency saying, could you please, you know, temporarily, you know, pause this audit, um, this, you know, random audit, um, because you know, she's saving lives. Their company is saving lives. And I think that was really beautiful and really powerful. So it was very interesting growing up with that and, and all that. And I was very young. So it's, you know, 2002, 2003, you know, early two thousands and growing up with that. And as things escalated, you know, seeing, seeing all that, it was very fascinating. It was very cool to see all that and observe all that because my parents, they would kind of tell me everything <laughs> but for better, for worse, but it was yeah, very beautiful. That's
1: great, Eric, What what does Idaho mean to you?
0: Um, I mean, Idaho is one of, I think, one of the most unique, beautiful, outdoorsy places probably in the world. And I've seen a lot of the world. Um, I think just the hiking trails, um, the beauty. I call Coeur d'Alene, you know, an American mini Monaco during the summer. It's very beautiful. Um, I think Coeur d'Alene, just the lake with the hiking and all that stuff down that. Boise, you know, one of the fastest growing cities in the United States. It's really beautiful. Um, You know, just, just, there's so much land Things are affordable, you know, still relatively, and I mean it's just growing, and thanks to you, it's growing, Tommy, and it's uh, it's just it's just it's just a beautiful place. So it's hard to say with one word, but yeah, growth, you know, growth and beauty, beauty and growth,
2: probably home, right?
0: Home, home, yeah. exactly.
2: Hey, uh, Eric. So two things I kind of want to get to with you, and one is you become. A celebrity, right? I mean, who you hang out with in the world, uh, you hang out with these bloggers and these YouTubers. You hang out. I mean, it, it is the the lifestyle you live right now is is pretty amazing. I mean, you're just turned twenty, and you, know, you have a place in New York and LA, and you travel the world. You've seen a lot of the world, and you, and you hang out with these folks. Uh, one, how do you? And I think. Uh, anyone listening to the show, I, I, I'd ask you to go follow Eric on social media. He's got a social media persona that's a little edgy, <laughs> you know, some of the posts you do and the pictures you do. I, so, you know, and I know that's part of the, part of the gig, right? When you're a, when you're a social media icon, what's that, yeah. what's that world like? What, what is that world like for, for a kid from Idaho?
0: Just going on the social media stuff because if they do go on my social media, they'll I'll, I'll look like a different person. Um, <laughs> but no, I I do these obnox- real quick. I'll, I, I do these obnoxious photos that are really beyond truly obnoxious. I don't think the English language has truly evolved enough to <laughs> really describe
2: how obnoxious my photos are. Just describe um, one for Kevin in case he hasn't seen it.
0: Oh yeah, so one of them, one of them, one of my photos, for example, it's, a, it's actually a very beautiful, I'd say, Renaissance style photo. I'm laying <laughs> on my bed. Um I've got these gold sunglasses on. Um I'm uh, I'm looking to the side, you know, resting. You know, I've got this like, sw- you know, these Adidas sweatpants on with these, you know, this kind of like shirt, kind of weird, you know, mafia shirt and I've got a gun in my hand, gold chains and then the whole bed is just covered in, you know, hundreds of hundreds of dollar 100 maybe thousands of 100 dollar bills. <laughs> um so that that's kind of my my thing. I was actually in GQ um, they asked me, so what is, the, you know, what is the morning like in the day of Eric Finman? And I said, well, I just wake up, you know, my my $100 bills, you know, they fall off me like silk, you know, because they're my blanket, you know, I sleep with sunglasses on, you know, I get up, you know, immediately there's like an espresso put in front of me, you know, I step, I, I move to the side, put my feet in a pair of Red October $6,000 Yeezys um, and then, and then I get up and start my day and that's the day of the life of Eric Finman or the morning of Eric Finman, at least. Um, but no, I do these kinds of stunts. I say these things, um, I sound obnoxious because, you know, I think you've got to be how many projects that are just started by really smart, but nerdy guys, but no one pays attention to them. You know, how many companies and genius world changing ideas just failed because no one paid attention to them. You've got to be sensational. And I think that's really powerful. You gotta be a little bit of a sensation. You gotta be a little bit provocative. You gotta be bombastic. Um, and I remember the Guardian actually, uh, they wrote an article about this as meet Eric Finman, the teenage Bitcoin millionaire. And no, he's not as awful as he seems on Instagram. <laughs> and I thought that was a very good caption. And yeah. it goes into kind of my whole strategy of, of, of using these sensational, noxious photos to bring attention to, to my, you know, really valuable projects that are meaningful.
2: Well, I think it's super smart and I get why you do it, but i I'm going to let the, the secret out of the bag here on our podcast. The, 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 guy behind all that's one of the most sincere and genuine guys I've ever known. So I think it's funny when I see him, we all laugh because we, you know, we <laughs> love, we love and know the true Eric, who's the, who's the guy that cares about everyone and is, is humble and, and comes from this incredible background. Okay. Let's, let's get into number. The second thing I want to get into Eric, Bitcoin, right? I think for those people listening today, what I might ask you, because even though I think I've become very familiar with it and a lot of people have, give us a little history on Bitcoin, just a short history, and then talk to us about what's changing. You have been all over national media lately. I don't, you know this, but, but New York Post front page, you know, Eric Finman proclaims Bitcoin is dead. Tell us a little bit about what Bitcoin is and then, boy, you're everywhere right now because of what you said.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm a, I was a huge Bitcoin fan in 2011, or, you know, for years and years and years, pretty much up until recently, since 2011, which is just pretty much right after it started. But yeah, the origins of Bitcoin, uh, they they started right after the 2008 financial crisis, which says something about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, because Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency. And it started right after that as a kind of reaction to that an anti-Federal Reserve, an anti-Ben Bernanke, an anti-US dollar because it seems that the people managing the economy kind of failed. And it was completely decentralized. It yeah was completely decentralized. No one could control it. No no crappy politicians running it. Just a completely decentralized way to be able to send money and use money and have, have a self-sufficient economy. Countries in Africa started using it because their currencies are, were particularly Unstable or making their own cryptocurrency a competitor to Bitcoin because their own currencies were so unstable So it was a way to free you from maybe politician-run Currency government-run currency. So that was kind of the reaction and was really growing for a lot of years um, Many years in a really beautiful and strong and impactful way and I think uh, recently I think Bitcoin um, It's very interesting. So what's beautiful about Bitcoin being decentralized is you can actually copy and paste the code and edit it a little bit and then change the name and make something completely new and that's what has happened to bitcoin is people have made you know hundreds of hundreds of of new different types of bitcoins so some are called bitcoin cash there's like bitcoin sv bitcoin you know gold you know there's just it's they copied and pasted the code it's like copying and pasting you know facebook and changing it to you know some other type of name, right? Like Eric book. And then it's not really that different. Maybe a logo's different or maybe the feeds a bit different or maybe it's a big difference like how Facebook and Instagram are different. Um, but that's kind of what Bitcoin is. So I think Bitcoin has gotten taken over and controlled um, by a core group of developers, um, which is, again, it's a little bit technical um, but a very core group of developers. They've kind of commandeered it like pirates And um, have now are moving Bitcoin into something that I don't believe it should be. And then there's been uh, a group that has separated off um, of that called Bitcoin Cash, which I think has made a uh, uh, incredible technology, but they can't seem to market it. They can't seem to pull it together. They're pretty much universally hated by everyone. And if you can't convince people, they almost kind of deserve that. Um, if they can't convince people, so there's other cryptocurrencies, competitors to Bitcoin, called like Ethereum or Zcash, that I think have really beautiful technologies, really beautiful visions, and um, are are on track. And I think Bitcoin has gotten off track, and I don't think it will ever go back on track. I think that it might go up. I think it will definitely go up in huge ways, maybe one, two, or three more times. But long term, Bitcoin is dead. But cryptocurrency is alive and well and we will continue to be alive and
2: well. How does it, how does it feel, Eric, to have uh, at the age of 20 to be able to say something and give an opinion like that and have everyone, in, and this isn't just the United States of America and the world, stand up and say, hey, you got to listen to what this kid's saying because he knows a thing or two about this. How does, how does that feel?
0: Feels good. Yeah, yeah. You know, wake <laughs> up, I'm on, like, <laughs> feels good, not going to lie. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, it's cool to be on the front page of New York Post. It's cool to be on, you know, Fox News. It's cool to be, you know, on the cover of the sun or, you know, in the sun, which is a big British newspaper Um, and, uh, and you know, be in Business Insider Netherlands, you know, um, it's it's very cool. It's very fascinating. It's definitely an ego trip.
2: That's great. Well, I think we're going to look for more great things from you. Uh, Eric, let me ask you another kind of, let's moving on to something else. You know, here, here we sit, um, you know, the economy's kind of really going well. And I think we're all worried a little bit about a recession and and, and how all that plays out. But what do you see in the tech sector, in technology? Um, what does the next three, five, six, seven years look like in, in technology? What would, if you were telling our listeners something to watch out for that's happening out there that we might not be looking at?
0: I mean, Silicon Valley is in for a reckoning, um, in one way or another. I mean, Silicon Valley, I think they become the new Wall Street as a target, or maybe in addition to Wall Street as a target. And I'm not talking about being anti-entrepreneurial, anti-technology. You no, know, I'm very pro-technology, very pro-entrepreneurial. But Silicon Valley, you know, they're this elitist culture and, and I think they're going to fail and self-destruct in many different ways. So i think that's something to look for and i think politicians will target them because the left politicians hate them in one way because they attribute facebook as as one of the reasons why trump won and social media is one of the reasons trump won Um, and i think the right um hates hates facebook and a lot of social media companies because you know they're 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 uh you know they're starting to ban a bunch of accounts on the left and the right and then you know they also believe that's the reason Trump won. So, you know, Facebook, Twitter and these companies are in this weird middle ground where they're banning people um, left and right, um, you know, literally on the party front. And then that's, you know, whoever controls social media controls who gets elected. And I think that's that's a very powerful thing. And the left and right are both, both that you see someone it was just number one trending, someone chained themselves to the front of Twitter um, and, and that was very interesting. And that was a cultural moment. Someone shot up YouTube just a couple months ago for having her videos be destroyed tonight. That's obviously really terrible, but they're getting shot up. People are being trained, um, chaining themselves to the front. People are protesting. And it's only going to get worse, in my belief. Um, you know, that you see the protests in France. I think you're going to see protests like that in Silicon Valley. I think that there's going to be an Occupy Wall Street. There's going to be an Occupy Silicon Valley. And I think that's going to be very interesting and very, very fascinating coming up. Cause I think people are sick, sick. Um, am I allowed to cuss on this podcast? Sure. I'm, I think people are sick of their shit. And I think that's, uh, I think that's, I think that's going to come in the next three to four years. But, What's beautiful about that is people are going to create alternatives. So it's no better time to probably uh, look out for new startups that are, you know, particularly in maybe the blockchain space, which is the technology Bitcoin is based off of and other cryptocurrencies are based off of. So that decentralizes everything. So there's no company, no entity. It's just math and algorithms running everything that are independent that you can choose not to use and compete with. Um, So you can uh, I think that's a great area to invest in and look at.
1: That's great.
0: Blockchain tech.
1: Eric, I was wondering, um, for those of us that, uh, you know, grew up in the analog world and uh, there are fewer and fewer of us every day. But could you explain to maybe the non-Bitcoin expert how something can go from, you know, a value of $50 to its high and now to its low? I think it was around $3,000. I have a friend who had the only Bitcoin ATM in the Treasure Valley. And I can remember when it was $1,000. The next day it was 1500 dollars and we watched this incredible climb and now the collapse and you say it's coming back. But how does that work as far as attributing a value to something that many of us can't comprehend?
0: I mean, you know, establishing the price of, of a certain currency. I mean, are you talking about how is the price determined or why do people see cryptocurrency or Bitcoin as valuable?
1: Well, how, how you could go from something that may be fifteen hundred dollars to in a week it's three thousand and then it continues to climb. And, you know, New York Times did a story on the Bitcoin farms in eastern Washington and the amount of energy. It's just something that I don't know if we've ever seen in human history.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Well, you know, people talk about um, the fall of Rome, you know, history repeats itself. The United States is kind of in a bad place, I think, right now. Um, But the one thing that is different compared to history is that we have the Internet and we have blockchain technology. So that really is something that's interesting and different. Um, compared to that, you know, past empires falling like the British Empire or, or Roman Empire or, or, you know, Greece or even the Soviet Union, you know, it's very interesting. So, I mean, why, why does the price, um, go up and down? I mean, why it goes up and down so fast is it's pretty just, uh, you know, there's a certain amount of supply. There's only going to be 21 million Bitcoins, um, to ever exist. And, um, so that's if you have, you know, a relatively small, small market cap. Um, of you know a, you know maybe a quarter of a trillion dollars, which in financial currency terms that's very small. So that's you know that's divided out between this so with the US dollar there's literally trillions and trillions of US dollars that exist. Um, so that's the price really goes up and down in pennies over like decades. Um, so I think that's 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 kind of different where there's only 21 million bitcoins and a quarter of a million do- billion dollars. So you know someone that sells 50 million dollars, um, of, of U.S. currency to like maybe British Pounds, that's not going to make a difference in the currency. But for Bitcoin, because there's so few Bitcoins, um, it's, uh, it's, that's going to make a huge difference. It's like, you know, when there's like a, like a, a shoe drop um, or a clothing drop, the price is very high and then it goes out onto the market. And then, you know, after, you know, the price goes down because there's more produced, or maybe there's a limited edition and then the price is really high, Bitcoin is like the limited edition of cryptocurrencies of, of just currencies in general. Most currencies have billions or trillions um, of 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 kind of dollars or pounds or bills, and then with Bitcoin, it's there's just 21 million. You know, it's a limited edition currency, if you will. Well,
1: it's amazing. Um, I can't believe that uh, you've had people actually strain electrical grids coming up with these Bitcoin farms. Um, just the drain that it has on our antiquated um, grid what do you what do you make of that that people would obviously they're making money doing this
0: yeah i mean it's i mean it's a short term problem um you know it's like uh this is the equivalent of oh my god we're going to run, run out of whale oil what are we going to use to like light our rooms with and then you know the light bulb came about Right. That was like a huge, a huge thing. You know, people are thinking about whale oil and then the light bulb just came about because whale oil is a finite source. But Bitcoin is in the sense at the technology level or other cryptocurrencies at the technology level. Yeah, they use a lot of energy right now to produce. But that's why people are coding new cryptocurrencies or upgrading current cryptocurrencies where they use less and less and less energy. Um, so, like, you know, it's kind of like a computer, right? Like my computers have gotten more powerful. But, you know, they use less energy than a mainframe back in the day. So that's kind of the equivalent is maybe we're in the cryptocurrency equivalent of mainframes um, so that they used a lot of power and barely did anything. You know, in the future, I think they're going to use like next to no power um, and then uh, and then do a lot more um, and be a lot more powerful, a lot more capable. So that's that's just a short term problem. A lot of smart people are fixing, working on it.
2: Wow. Well. Um, Eric, uh, I think we're, we're wrapping up here, uh, soon here. I I can't wait to ask you this question, uh, because I I don't know what you're going to say. Um, at the end of each one of our episodes, we're asking all our guests, uh, what inspires you that podcasts inspire excellence, (laughs) whatever, (laughs) but, but, but Eric, I, I honestly, I've, I've, I've been around a lot of pretty unique people in my life, but no one like you. And you were in, just in town a few few uh, months ago, and we were able to go to breakfast. And, and after that, I, just everyone I saw that day, I just said, it just, just being around you is just, it's inspiring. It really is. The way you think, the way you approach life, uh, your mind. Um, and I I, mean, I, I do attribute, uh, attribute a lot of that to your parents. But I, I can't wait to hear what Eric Finman says to the question of what inspires you. So go ahead.
0: Um, that's that's tough because I'd get in trouble for saying what inspires me. Um, yeah. but uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think what drives me forward and and that inspiration is fuel. Um, I think, I mean, I think that that the world is is I think people are too small minded, and then I think there's a few large minded people that I like, but I think even people are too small-minded of what you can do and what is possible in the world and I think just the dreams of what I could do that are, are so grand and so big, nothing has really ever been done like the things that I'm dreaming of. Um, they're at a higher level than maybe like a king, they're at a higher level than a president, they're at a higher level than a lot of these deities people follow. There's going to be a new word, I think, after like my lifetime. Cause people say, you know, what is a, what is a man to a king? What is a king to a god? What is a god to, you know, a fin, a fin man, right? You know, I mean, that sounds like the most egotistical thing, but, you know, I'm really going to be, you know, a lot of these prophets have come about. Um, and then they've done really impactful things and really done a lot of beautiful things. And of course, you know, there's like authentic prophets versus, maybe not so authentic profits. But I'm going to do bigger things than them. And I think that's going to be really huge. And again, that sounds like the most egotistical, narcissistic thing you could ever say. But I think, you know, if you're alive on this earth, why not dream to the biggest, you know, there's that, like um, you go in like an arcade game and then you see like, there's like the top 10 score of that arcade game and you want to beat number one or number two. Right. And then I want to beat number one of that game. And I don't know who the number one, Person uh, in the game of Earth, and as long as the Earth has existed, um, has been. I don't know who the number one player is, but I will be by the number one player in, and probably maybe not even at the end of my lifetime. I think I'll probably be there a little bit earlier than that. But it's it's this big minded thinking. Actually, I will give an example of a person that is not someone that I really look up to, but in a situation that I really admired. It was this guy. It was this podcast, another podcast, um, Inception. But it's, he was talking about, he worked directly into Larry Page and he was saying like back in like 2004, like Google was thinking about making a a TiVo kind of ripoff. And then Larry Page said, what would it cost to send our TiVo ripoff um, to everyone in the United States? And then nobody had thought that big before, right? Because they had, they made money off the subscription. So it's like, do the math on uh, how much it would cost to send to everyone and how likely are people going to subscribe to our service so that we make money back on the box. That's really huge type of thinking. And I think he said the math ended up being about $5 billion to send it to everyone in the United States. And he said, well, you know, let's do it. But, you know, they ended up not making that box. But what a world. That's like big-minded thinking to be able to send, you know, how do I impact something where everyone in the United States every 330 million people will experience something. And I, and I have the money to front, well, you know, Google had the money to be able to do that. That's, that's billion dollar, trillion dollar thinking. And that's big thinking. And that, that small little thing of thinking that big really inspired me. But imagine if you did that type of thing, not with TiVo ripoff boxes, but with like things like solving homelessness or medical care or, or education that that's the type of thinking that I think is beautiful. And I don't think anyone really thinks of even Larry page, the CEO of Google or the founder.
2: It's got me convinced. <laughs> well, Eric, thank you very much. We really appreciate you joining us uh, today and, and, and wish you and your, your family happy holidays. And, and can't wait to see you again back, back home here in
1: Idaho. Eric, anything else? Eric, appreciate it. And, um, can't wait to uh, to hear more about uh, your success, sir.
0: Yeah, <laughs> thank you. No, it's always a pleasure talking with you too. And, and you know, I just met you, Kevin, but, you know, always a pleasure with you too, Tommy. I consider you uh, an amazing friend and and you'll be an amazing friend too, I'm sure, Ken.
1: I'll work on it, Eric. <laughs> Have a good one. Have a good one. Thank you.
2: You've been
0: listening to the Inspire Excellence Podcast. We invite you to find something that inspires you this week. Join us again for our next episode.